tell your story, not someone else's. Mm. Talk about your own personal experiences. Talk about your own emotions. Use your own emotions as tools rather than, um, you know, thinking about like let's say someone else's feeling or so someone else's story. The most unique story or poem that you could write is your own poem, or your own story, and that's how you develop your voice, also, right? Hi there! Thank you so much for joining me one more time on India's first graphology-based leadership show called Absolutely Right with Aditi Surana. Yes, I am still Aditi Surana, though I sound very different. I was tested positive a few days ago, and only for the intro and the outro part of this conversation is where I sound like this because I got tested after we recorded the episode. For the first time on the Absolutely Right podcast, we have divided one interview into two parts because we had no heart to edit any part out of Megha Rao's conversation. Megha is a confessional performance poet and surrealist artist. She spoke about her recent book Teething in the last episode. She also performed a poem which was phenomenal. It gave all of us goosebumps. So if you haven't heard episode number one ninety three, please go ahead and listen to it. And today's episode is part two, continuation of that conversation. Before we get started with today's episode. the second part of our interview let me remind you about the new podcast that we launched recently it's called daily mental fitbit every day we speak about different mental and emotional hacks tools and perspectives that you can inculcate on a daily basis so do check out these 3 minutes bite size small episodes called daily mental fitbit so let me get this conversation started with a phenomenal artist meghara Okay, so here's another question. Um, I I I used to paint a lot, and I also used to sing a lot. You know, as a kid, I mean, I I I would also say that I'm I'm good at it. I'm as good as I'm I'm really good with vocals, and I studied classical music for ten years. I am good in vocals. I can paint really well. I actually, you know, took a lot of lessons in art school um i love it but at some point after i started making writing my career i just dropped all of that you know i lost interest because i don't know i lost the interest of seeing something as just a hobby where there was no um let's say there was nothing that you could get back from it in the sense that everything else writing suddenly has become this slot machine where i'm like I'm giving writing i'm getting something back it could be money it could be validation it could be whatever but i have lost the drive to do something because i love it just for myself how do i go back to that well, that's a tough one <laughs> a tough one because i don't think anything but inspiration can get us on that path for a very long time you can do it once in a while but you can actually connect the idea of taking a break with your these hobbies oh yeah so not doing it for the heck of it but you know singing not for performance for towards you know like literally performing for them but literally sitting down and doing the riyas and then finding why your mind constantly keeps going for the external world's validation now i'm going to use graphology to even decode this a little bit when you write your lower case letter i you always encircle them you don't yeah. put dots you encircle no. 
that talks about the need for recognition from other people. Mm-hmm. So if your work is not recognized, it becomes meaningless. Now, interestingly, the dots in your signature are not like that. They are dots. They are not circles. So in public forum, you don't care for validation. But in your personal life with your close people, their validation, they recognizing your growth or your effort matters to your lot, which is a conflicting idea if you look at it. And I want you to ponder about this. What makes people who are closer to you, their recognition more important or more disturbing if it doesn't come your way? Um, I think I already know the answer to this, in fact. And I came across it very recently that lately, because you see so much of your work being spoken about, or, or everyone, you know, like whoever's reading it, it's out there, right? So whoever's reading it is dropping a one-line review of it. Oh, I hate this. This is bad. Or, this is good. I love it. Um, it's so overwhelming. Whether it's praise or someone criticizing it badly, that to kind of deal with it, to deal with, or else, I mean, I'm so fragile, I'll be honest. I, I break on a daily basis. So even seeing one thing, hearing someone say one good or bad thing, would really, it had complete control over my mood. Mm. And also not just mood, but my sense of identity. Someone Mm. says something great, I feel like a prodigy. Someone says something bad, I feel like I'm good for nothing. It had to stop. It was a damaging cycle. Mm. So then I made it a point to tell myself what really matters is the opinion of people who you look up to. Mm. And I thought, if it's a stranger, why do you care? But if it's someone you love, it's, I mean, it, it would still make sense. They still mean something. That's because by the end of the day, as a writer or as an artist, criticism is important. It is. You can't be like, oh, no, I created something. Nothing else matters. But, but then it became, you know, it, it became a monster of its own. Because when people I looked up to or loved said something cruel or not so great, it didn't have to be cruel, just something a little negative. It just, you know, I, I felt so, I don't know. It, it really affected me. So I don't know. I still don't know how to deal with it. I don't know how to deal with it. Um, But yeah, right now at this very moment, what someone I'm close to thinks about me, my work, it matters way too much. I need it to not matter. But I don't know what will happen if it doesn't matter either. Like, I don't know if that's a good thing either. So So we speak about a 3D mechanism. So it's not that it should matter, it shouldn't matter. But the fact that you can start looking at things for what they are, because all opinions, no matter whether they're yours or people you love or strangers, are driven by their own perspective and their point of view. So, for example, if you're looking at a coin and you may look at one side and I may look at the other, and we can argue till cows come home and say, okay, that is a side that is true. But that's an opinion. That's not the truth. Now, to be able to see the fact that you're holding a coin in a manner that both of you are seeing it in a different angles, that's the truth or that's the idea that we have to look at. So you have to step away from your own situation every now and then. And that is a practice that one requires to do. Uh, Deepak Chopra speaks about this as a detached involvement concept. He says you stay involved, but every now and then you step away and look at things for what they are. 
Now I know with the kind of intensity that you bring, <laughs> it's exactly opposite of what I'm talking about. And also, uh, we've been, you know, like I feel like throughout our conversation, we keep touching upon being grounding ourselves in the middle ground, and I I find that impossible. At least for my personality, I know that I'm the kind of person who has black and white thinking. It's either this or that. You know, someone's either amazing or really bad. Something is, it's, 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 I mean, that's something I struggle with. But I Megha, struggle with so much. Megha, this is interesting because what you're talking about, the black and white is for the mind, which it has to choose. Either I like it or I dislike it. And whatever mm. you like or you dislike is very, very strongly done with intensity. What if we use your body to create the middle ground? Which means every time you have a strong emotional reaction, your body goes through a chemical reaction and you either feel broken or you feel celebrated. Both yeah. of them, objectively speaking, are not true. They're transitory. These are the moments in which who you're speaking with creates that illusion about you. Either you like it or you hate it. And mm. that swing is where you're feeling pulled. Now, using the body to do the counter, the middle ground work could be breathing-based workouts. I see. Where you don't have to necessarily choose anything, but your body starts finding the moment, at least for a moment, drops the identity that you're carrying around. And for you, the identity is very, very important. When you pick it up, like your performance, you pick up an identity, you, you know, function from there. And when you're not performing, you drop that identity. Similarly, we all require to find ways in which we can drop our identities, even for a moment, if we can do that will be such a relief for us to deal with future trauma. The yeah, I mean, the stage identity was in every way. And this is something I have never revealed, honestly. Because how, I mean, what could you, you can't make sense of it. But the stage personality, everything, in the sense that whether it's Mega as the writer or Mega as the performer, all of that, I will, I mean, I will tell you, all of that was a coping mechanism. Oh, wow. So you chose every bit of it to create that Megha piece yeah. by piece. It was this identity that felt, I mean, even like there are many moments where I feel detached from that person, but also super attached in a sense that she got me through a lot of things. Because I told you what my childhood like I you know that I've grown up a loner um, I, I've, I've been fine with that also which is even worse but a loner someone who just existed who was I mean I'm super ordinary which is great and then when bad things happened it was this person was almost like a second skin for me mm. and I kept thinking this person is undefeatable I can be broken but that person that stage personality or that person who writes she can't be broken she's brave she's fierce and I it's almost like I created a character like projected this yep. undefeatable version of myself and she keeps she's just there and I don't know it's I'm so detached and attached involved. to yeah it's i would say it's more of like what, what i was just talking about is detached involvement if that character <laughs> requires some changes you can make changes because you're like oh she needs to perform in that manner and she needs to have it and that's exactly what i was talking about i think you do it knowingly unknowingly with with that megha who is performing 
but yeah i, I hear you it's a, it's a tough one <laughs> it is a tough one it doesn't make sense to me because i told you right it that person started as a coping mechanism that person was a coping mechanism and many performers especially singers i have spoken about this i know the great artists they're like that person cannot break that public image that persona that i built and they live through the persona as long as you already know that this is a persona and this part of you but still not you i think that realization and that awareness is phenomenal no but it goes beyond that because that persona was not created for the public either hmm. like that persona was created for me do you understand that coping mechanism was mine like i never started writing because i thought people were reading it i started writing to you know i started writing because i remember in college there would be days where people just you know like gang up against me and start making me cry in the middle of the street and i just wouldn't know what to say back because i was just so broken by it then i'd go home back to my hostel and start writing this long poem about how you know what i'm not dead yet listen to this so every poem was resurrection every poem was re- revival and i wrote because i wanted my bullies to do that mm-hmm. i had no idea that random people were reading it that this would blow up this would become something else and that which is why the root or the seed of that person even now i believe even if you know like take the public out of this where i go into hiding i'm completely anonymous megara would still exist for me because she's the part of me that comes out alive when i need protection from disaster sure. so it whether the public is involved or not this is a relationship between me and her and i need to which is why i also need to retreat once in a while because i need to honor that relationship i this sounds mad but no, it sounds beautiful and sounds true that many introverts do not know how to do it or many people who are not probably introvertish but they have other intensities that other people do not understand they got to really nurture that relationship they have yeah. to stop pretending to be normal or you know conform to the standards and just come out and do what is needed what you're yeah. saying my public image my persona requires me to rethink about things and that unwinding is needed i think if you can have dates with her more often as <laughs> like once a week or if possible every single day then you don't have to wait for those breaks to go in the hiding and do it no, of course not and i think more than an escape from being an introvert or it, i don't even know if had anything to do with being an introvert or maybe it was not maybe i didn't create like maybe that person doesn't exist because i'm trying to deal with being an introvert or make sense of being an extrovert and an introvert maybe that person exists because that's the only way i knew how to deal with my own trauma right so or sometimes uh, and there's also another theory to it especially in personality studies that when you have a projected self that goes beyond you that mm. like the superhero the superhero does the work that you always always want to do and when you look at yourself in constrained in all the other situations the superhero is is the savior and that's so that's the analogy that you're using how she saved you but that superhero always existed you just needed another avatar to really walk that path so definitely i mean i i like that theory <laughs> this phenomenal and you know as i i feel personality I, i i write this personality is a process we can change large part of it you're right in the way you, when you said that a few things can't be changed no matter what 
but a large part of it can be crafted. Now, the way you created Megha outside as a performer, you're also creating this Megha every single day with mm. your choices, with your understanding. And as you said, I used to feel very hurt and I made different choices now. And similarly, more awareness that you would bring, you will make different choices. So a large part of your personality can be altered because it's a process, not a fixed idea. That's very comforting. And also, <laughs> it also creates a lot of unease because... You know, it's like, there are things that would be great if they were changed and things I would lose if they got changed. And is this, um, is this change in my control? Is it not? I mean, it's I think life, 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 life. That is life. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So I, I have a very, um, I think this question a lot of people would be able to relate to, even you, um, anyone actually, um, especially I think someone in their 20s, in their 30s also. I have a weird fear of, you know, growing old in the sense that it's not, oh, something might happen, I'm going to die. It's more like I grow old, my parents will grow old, uh, you know, my friends probably will grow old, everyone's going to grow old and Basically, time passing terrifies me. How do I get over that? And why? Like, why am I so... I worry about it all the time. I worry about, you know, people older than me disappearing before I do. Why do you worry about it? I don't know. I mean, is that what a of, see, Or what to do with it is a question. What, how do I deal with it? Because I know most people do worry about it. But because I have obsessive thoughts... Once I jump onto that thought train, I'm in a different world. I don't want to feel so obsessed about this. I obsess about life, about death. But when I obsess about death, of course I get anxious, right? <laughs> How do I just not obsess about it? How do I deal with it if I can't stop obsessing about it? So most of the time, death is painful because we have so many of our identities invested in other people. Mm-hmm. That's what makes death anyone's death so difficult even a breakup for that matter it's not only the person moving away or not meeting the person but it's actually the future that you have crafted with this person that now you know you won't be able to live and that future was so real that you don't know how to look at the present without that future Mm. is where our identities are compromised so every person that you fear losing to death or other life situations is actually coming from the fact that we think a large part of who we are is woven into their identity. Mm. And that's a tricky part because anytime the identities are woven into other people in whichever way, we will be bound by their presence, their absence, their choices, their words, their love, their hate. And this is where the trigger conversation comes at a very, very primitive level because if that person dies then all of that is taken away and that part is going to be empty and I don't know how to refill that part yeah I have another way of looking and sometimes you know when that part is emptied you fill it up with a lot of grief right or Um, other things you know people either choose to grieve or they choose to do other things that would not even let them feel that grief so oh, yeah. We, Distractions we, and unhealthy coping mechanisms. So we do that. And because one, we do not know how to not be so dependent and identified <sighs> in relationships. 
That's one thing. And second larger idea is we do not know how to deal with our pain. We are never given the tools and mechanisms to do it. You know, it feels like a personal choice all the time. We are not taught this in school either. If you think about it, they teach us maths and science and all, which is great. But there's no, you know, there's no subject where you're taught how to be a kind person, how to deal with breakups, how to deal with life. And and that's so interesting. And I, I find it amusing because when you look at, say, math, you're given a problem that you can handle and then you're taught mechanisms next year where you learn how to handle more complicated problems. How about life? Life also requires these skill set, right? Like you learned how to look at your emotions differently, how to uh, deal with that, that sudden reaction that your friend or the person you thought was your friend gave. And now you didn't, you, you learned how you to- You don't trust them, yeah. You learned how to trust other people no matter what, though you had such experiences. Now, these are also problems. They require mm. like formulas. They require ways in which you can learn. And unfortunately, when people don't have these mechanisms, where do you learn them from? Only fictions? Only people around you? Like if you have 10 people around you as your inner circle, you look at them and you learn their mechanism, copy it. Oh, uh, you copy the mechanism. I mean, it's, 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 um, I would call it environmental as well as, let's say, a hereditary thing also. You, you watch how your parents cope with certain exactly. things and you just, they could be the most unhealthy coping mechanism. Like, for example, when I tell my mother, I'm, you know, I'm sad or grieving or I feel uncomfortable or anxious. She said, you're so young, you couldn't possibly. And she tries to make me feel like it doesn't exist. So it's more like, no, no, no. It, you're, you know, it's because you read a lot. It's not true. Get it out of your mind. And this is how they've dealt with it too, right? I think they've grown up telling themselves there's nothing wrong with them, even when they felt something was wrong. Um, and that's turned them into the, I mean, it's definitely seeped into their identity. And they don't realize even now that it's, you know, that unhealthy coping mechanism has, you know, hasn't aided their personal growth. And that's what the point is, because if you don't have the mechanisms or the tools required to deal with any sort of grief, then you will only think I have three options, which my parents use, something I watched in the movies or read in some fiction. (laughs) So I don't have other mechanisms and thereby the grief becomes stronger deeper and we break completely or the grief you know it just it gets passed on you you bleed on other people that happens and then someone else becomes you know just as broken problematic it gets passed on very easily and imagine living in a world where everybody has learned how to be kind then they won't do this no. Not only you, other people would also not bleed on you because they have learned how to. It's like we don't throw our our <laughs> you know garbage on other people. It's rude and it's considered like you're supposed to deal with it yourself. Yeah. Same thing emotionally. Uh, Aditi, but that's a utopian world, right? Because everyone has extra baggage. Everyone's growing up with festering wounds. And also, see, this is how it is, right? You can't. In the sense that right now, there's a culture of opening up to people, right? It's where, oh, okay, I'm not feeling well. You need to lean on someone. And if you say, oh, no, I cannot handle your extra baggage right now. Even if you say it in the most polite way, people think, how can you say that? Like, I am suffering and you're turning your back on me. Hmm. Like, people, 
I see so much of that. A lot of people saying my DMs are open to conversation, and then they'll have like a bit of conversation, then they run off because they're just like I can't deal with this other person's baggage. Leaving this person unattended also. See, I think it's so important to have proper boundaries with everyone you're in a relationship with, friends or family or even um, a partner. Um, healthy boundaries are amazing because the one person who should be, let's say, hearing about all the extra baggage, who can carry it, is a therapist. Like it is the fam, like it is your family and friends' responsibility to make sure you're doing okay, but to always be someone's emergency contact. I mean, it's it gets difficult for a lot of people. But it is just imagine people who are not trained to deal with other people's emotions oh, yeah. and their own. And when during the pandemic, when people opened these conversations that if you're feeling sad, write to me, my heart used to sink every time I read a message like that. I'm like, how do you know what to say and, and how to help the person? You yeah, what if, what if you say something yeah. triggering? What if you yeah. end up saying something triggering because you're not trained, trained. to, yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. So, That's... you know, that whole idea of like, open up to me and write to me, I will be there for you. We don't know how to be there for the other person. And I think that idea is it's like I'm, I spoke about it publicly. I mean, you shouldn't be saying this to anyone if you're not trained to do it. But having said that, we all must get trained. And the idea, that idea might sound mm-hmm. utopian. We must get trained to deal with our own emotions. And there's a mechanism. Like we run something called India's first mental gym. And my idea is the same. I'm like the way you work out for your body. How about for your mind? Are you not supposed to learn these mechanisms and practice them on a regular basis to function from emotionally and mentally healthy spaces? The emotional baggage that you're talking about are only those memories largely that you haven't processed. Yeah. How many times we learn the word processing your emotions anywhere? People find, I mean, I think one reason people distract themselves. You know, instead of processing, they definitely go into distraction mode. And, and then, there is an economy where people thrive on you distracting yourself or yeah. by giving you content required, by keeping you on Instagram forever, by constantly gratifying your requirements. So the capitalist world loves the fact that you doubt yourself and you're broken. So the quintessential meme is uh, an unhealthy coping mechanism then. Exactly, right? Exactly. And, and we should have that as per the capitalist world. And this is where we have to put, us, put, a, put an end to it. And if I, if I can, and I, I want to spend every minute of my life doing exactly that, like talking about these healthy mechanisms so that we don't walk around as broken people and we don't normalize being anxious and high functional all the time. You, say, okay. yeah, you know, something very interesting comes to my mind when we talk about it. I mean, it's always... So I had a friend who would have coffee like a million times a day. And I just like, you know, that's not good for you. And he said, it's better than alcohol. <laughs> and I thought, okay, so that's how you, you know, you, you compare, yeah, you compare, you know, which one's less healthy. And Poisonous. <laughs> and I thought, wow. So, so it's like a graduation. I moved away from the most unhealthy coping mechanism to something that's not yes, healthy. healthy. <laughs> Absolutely, absolutely. You know, and when I started writing, I, I, I know to get it all out, I, I, was, I was, you know, my head hurt so much. And 
you know, I would also paint, right? I would paint all these scary monsters and my paintings were really absurd and my father would look at them and tell me, why, why does it have to be so dark? Like you're writing, you're painting, it's all so dark. You don't, you don't want to depress people, do you? And I, I, then I was, you know, the one thing I remember thinking was, I write to feel less alone. You know, I'm validating what I feel. And if there are so many other people who feel that, who validate their emotions by consuming literature. Sometimes I don't need to be dishing out healing art, you know, sometimes it could just be me saying I feel this way and someone else realized like, you know, you real you read something by a poet or a writer and that's when you realize and this poet or writer probably wrote it years ago. They're not even alive now, but you read it and you realize, oh my God, that person felt this very same way years ago. That's, that means this is what human existence is. I... I'm not, I'm not abnormal. This is normal. And that makes you feel a little lighter. I do believe that. I remember, I, th- I think it's Hemingway who said this, that he said, if at every point in time, your reader feels that, how does this writer know how I'm feeling right <laughs> now? Then that writing is good writing. I think mm. what you're saying is exactly that. It's like being able to empathize at a level where you can connect with the other person. Yeah, I mean, the personal could be incredibly universal. It's not something you should seek in writing because then that tampers with the craft. Mm-hmm. But I'm just saying that something so deeply personal could be insanely relatable to someone else without you even realizing it. So how do you know this? You know, like the entire writing process, if you have to talk to people who, who would like to become writers or if they are struggling with this whole wanting to be patient with their emotions, but at the same time, they don't want to lose the original moment how do you how do you move from the personal experience to the craft and what role patients play here um so firstly i'm going to take up on you asking about the craft i think all writing needs to be honest all art needs to be honest and has been right i think the most profound art has always come from a place of vulnerability and honesty and just speaking the truth about you know you know experiences and which means that tell your story not someone else's mm. talk about your own personal experiences talk about your own emotions use your own emotions as tools rather than um, you know thinking about like let's say someone else's feeling sure. so someone else's story the most unique story or poem that you could write is your own poem, your own story. And that's how you develop your voice also, right? You read someone's work and you think, this is so original, this is so beautiful, this is so fresh, but I'm writing like everyone else. Mm -hmm. That's because you're reading everyone else and you're aspiring to write like everyone else. Inspiration is good, but also take from the inside and that's so important. As far as craft is concerned, um, apart from getting vulnerable or honest, I think simplicity is so important. What a is? lot. I mean, in the sense that a lot of writers think that good writing involves a lot of great vocabulary, right? People think if I hold all the words in the world, if I know the dictionary by heart, I'm great at language. But I think that's language. It's not poetry. It's not music. It's not art. Right. Um, you could know all the words in the world, but when you're writing a poem, you not 
putting all those words into that poem matters so much. Because when your poetry is communication too, it's like a bridge where you're on this side and other people are on the other side. Right. And if you want people to understand that, I think simplicity is so important. Mm. Or else then just write for yourself and don't care about anything else. But I think simple. I think all art deserves to be understood. So writing in a, in the most simplest language. I mean, why did Shakespeare become famous? Mm. Why was Shakespeare known? And why was Shakespeare loved yeah. by his audience? All these years. Yeah. Right now, as let's say, because I'm, I mean, I remember my years as a literary, literature student. And I used to think, oh my God, this is so complicated. I don't understand this English. <laughs> but that's because I'm from a different time. Right. I'm from a different time, so language has evolved and changed a lot. We use millennial language. It's different. Right. We right. use text language. It's different. But I'm saying context matters here. For his time, he was simple for them. People understood his plays. People understood his sonnets because he wrote in the most simplest language. He didn't use too much of Latin, which all his contemporaries were using. Right. So that's why he was a hit and that's why people loved him. So that's what I mean by simplicity. Don't cram all your big words into your poem. Um, and I think there's one more thing I'd like to add. Um, I believe that um, just observing is so important to writing. I remember telling you that we are the observers. We shouldn't be observed. Um, I think that more than just observing, a good artist or a true artist observes the very things that nobody else would notice. Mm -hmm. So if you're sitting across, I think the first thing that um, someone would notice is the necklace you're wearing. Mm -hmm. um, if someone's looking at me, the first thing someone would probably notice would be my tattoos, you know? Um, and when I had my septic piercing, they would notice the septic piercing first. But what are the things that, you know, you wouldn't notice? Mm. You wouldn't notice, let's say, when I get anxious, I, you know, I, um, I tap my fingers on the table, these actions. Maybe, maybe when I'm ex excited, my bros arch up. These are things people don't notice. Like you said, I think it's, it's a big part of your job, right? You notice <laughs> all the things that nobody notices when it comes to, you know, yeah. decoding handwriting. So I think that's so important as an artist to observe anything that, you know, the ordinary world wouldn't notice. So, and, and mostly yeah. the things that you notice are so ordinary that that is the reason why ordinary people don't notice it. So that mm. it just, it's a contradiction, but actually the detailing is where the art happens and the observation happens. Of course, of course, for someone, the sky is just the sky, but maybe for an artist, the sky is, maybe the sunset is God spilling wine on the sky's party dress. It could be anything, right? It could be anything. And I just learned to focus on the small wins, you know, like this month, this is what I look forward to. This is what I achieved. It, it was small, but I liked it. Achievement doesn't always have to be something that's commercial, right? Doesn't have to be that. Um, it could also, it could also be. A, it doesn't have to be based on finance or let's say productivity. It could also be, I achieved um, learning how to be more patient. Mm -hmm. I achieved learning how to be kind. I learned how to be a better person, and that is also an achievement. In fact, that's the best achievement. 
is the greatest achievements of all time <laughs> being a good person not a lot of people can achieve that yeah we we have seen so many people around us and that is a rare one yeah and i mean i mean that's the achievement a lot of people don't aspire for so it's such an underrated achievement so mega just out of curiosity have you always been a great reader and that led to writing or because you got curious about writing that led to reading uh, <laughs> um this is uh, i don't know where to start with this okay so funny story when i was a kid at 6 i hated books uh, my sister my sister loved reading so there would be all these books in her bookshelf and i hated it but being a creative person like i was creative right from being a yep. kid you know i used to make cds using paper like i i would you know you get cds and then yeah. i like the drawing on that so then i end up like making my own cd out of paper i like you know cut a hole inside then do all sorts of things put it inside the player and drag the player and then i went and told my dad oh my god listen i did this i was creative i was destructive mm-hmm. i i would make this children's newspaper like you know i i wouldn't read the newspaper okay but then i'd look at it and get so curious and i'd be like i was going to make my own newspaper <laughs> and then i'd make up all this news that didn't exist make up movie reviews of movies that didn't exist, didn't exist. Okay. and then i would slip it under my dad's door and be like read it. read this <laughs> newspaper instead <laughs> and then i started making comic books wow. and full of full of spelling errors see as a kid growing up in singapore we had to speak in english to other kids so i knew the language mm-hmm. it's just that my spelling was terrible because i didn't read mm-hmm. so i would write but it would be spelled wrong and i would draw on all these characters because it's a comic I give it to my dad then one day he actually told me something really rude he said why should i read your book if you don't read other people's books oh that's a great way of treating your child mm-hmm. and then um, i started reading from then on <laughs> and when i actually discovered how magical books could be because that was like stepping into a world i think i don't know why i didn't want it i was generally disinterested no but then I, when i, I started reading, yeah you know, yeah and the first book i read was harry potter and wow. i was blown and that got me into reading and then i became a you know i just i would i would read one book every day i i was super into it and you know when i started taking writing seriously mm-hmm. i made it a point to just read more because i know i told myself if you want to be a writer you need to read you know like 10 times more than you actually write mm-hmm. like you need to be a reader first like that should be like that's the only source and so i I've I've always read. I mean I mean I had started trouble like I told you but I'm grateful my dad said that. Uh-huh. Um, <laughs> Do you have any recommendations that people can read in 2022? Nice. Okay. So actually I do. Um so also books that are relevant to 2022 that's a great idea. Mm-hmm. I love this writer called Joan Didion. She passed away recently. Mm-hmm. um she's written this book a year of magical thinking it's about grief oh. and it's about you know like so she it's it's loosely no it's actually based on her husband passing away uh, a year before or something but it talks about grief and it's a beautiful book it's not triggering it just it's i don't know there's something 
very real about it. And I think it's so important as we step into 2022 because this year, last year, there have been so many losses, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not saying that we need to keep grieving continuously, but we, we must never forget. It. Yeah, we must never forget the losses too. We are allowed to celebrate, you know, the small wins, things we are happy about, but we must remember the loss. We have paid heavily to this illness. Yeah. Um, another book that, um, so I like this poet called Nazim Hikmet. I discovered him very recently. He used to write poems when he was in jail. So um, I think in many ways, I would say it was, it was a beautiful read, honestly, because Poets, as we know, full of passion. So I think this was this was that one read that reconnected me with you know passion what and is yeah. The name of his book? It's just poems by Nazim Hikmet. It's like a collection. Okay. Um, and then there is the Far Field by Madhuri Vijay. Okay. It won. I I, I guess it won the JCB uh, wow. prize for literature in twenty nineteen. I'm not sure. I think that's the awarded one, and I think that's the year. I may be wrong. But it's a beautiful book. It it tackles privilege in um in a very um gentle, delicate way. But also, it's in you know it's set in Kashmir. It's it talks. It's it's a political. It's a political novel, mm-hmm. and it's it's beautiful. I don't really want to give away too much because I, I'm the kind of person who can easily give away spoilers without realizing it. Um, but I I mean that's definitely a book that I would recommend. Um, another book I'm gonna oh oh yeah uh, that's just one last book that I recommend and that's Teething I oh. think <laughs> I know it it I I know it sounds super absurd to be recommending my own no book. I think <laughs> the fact that you, what you're saying and what you're doing is so phenomenal you must please please do, go ahead <laughs> no but I think it's a book that's very relevant to 2022 particularly relevant to 2022 because I mean it talks about so many things that you know people in today's era or even like my generation experience um, it whether it's that identity crisis or you know conflicted complicated relationships with your own family especially because we're living with them right now a lot of us are um or even let's see trauma yeah trauma trauma i mean generational trauma individual trauma this is so much and the book is small but and it doesn't talk about it in a very pointed way but it's soft but at the same time really sharp and i think people should read it as you are (laughs) (laughs) thank you Thank you, Vegha. This was a wonderful conversation. Thank you for being on the show. I cannot wait to read the book now and tell you which my favorite poems. It's really, really wonderful. Thank you. I, I can't wait for you to step into its world. Honestly, Aditi, I think you will love it. <laughs> Thank you so much for having me, by the way. This was, this was such, um, such a wholesome, deep conversation. And I remember you saying that I, I you know, the two dots represent me looking for intellectual I don't know if I'm phrasing it correctly but the way I interpreted it also because this felt very real to me is that I do look forward to intellectual conversations and in the sense that 
intellectual emotional conversations mm-hmm. conversations where you know we're not touching the surface i couldn't do small talk ever mm-hmm. you know small talk <laughs> is so difficult for me oh, <laughs> likewise till date yeah. struggle with it yeah yeah so this conversation has just made me so happy and these are things that made me so happy you know like just having a conversation where i feel like okay okay i feel replenished this is great i needed this and that was the only objective for our format we thought mm-hmm. many interviews are where people come and talk about things that they already know they would be speaking and i feel there's nothing real happening so the real part is where you touch the raw nerve and i think every conversation we tried to achieve that by you know, a lot of conversations are about success and finance which is great like we said maths and science and all that so important yeah. but emotional conversations yes. things that we need to address it's like especially when we're living in the time of covid right um i think we all need to have a lot more conversations conversation. around, yeah real emotional conversations where we check in with ourselves it's so important thank you thank, thank you for you. being the person who talks about all these things to so many people i think that voice is needed and especially in this time much more than ever before thank you <laughs> thank you alti <laughs> have a great day you too I hope you have enjoyed both these episodes as much as we have. We really felt that talking about certain vulnerable emotional journeys can be not only healing but empowering for others who are also experiencing the same pain. And as you could tell, Megha is a genius when it comes to that. As I mentioned this in the conversation with Megha, every emotional journey can be dealt with by looking at techniques and tools. If you want to know a structured approach to look at your mental and emotional fitness, do check out India's first mental gym called Apt with weekly sessions with group coaching with assignments given to you and a handheld process designed exactly as per your requirement. The mental gym is one of its kind. Do check out the website. It's called aptmentalgym.com. I'll see you on Friday with one more episode of the Absolutely Right podcast. Till then, happy writing. Thank you.